Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. Woo! We are officially here, season two. That's right. You season made it through. Two. Exactly. You made it through season one, and now we're braving our way into season two. We're recording remotely due to the current quarantine situation. I'm at my place in Toronto. Autumn's up at her place in Muskoka in the snow. Yeah, it's, it's the middle of April and it's a blizzard outside. Right? I don't understand. I don't understand either. It's like <laughs> you're living in Anatevka. Anatevka. <laughs> in the middle yeah. of a cold Russian winter. Yes, totally. And in case you don't know, I am your host, Jin. I don't know how to describe myself. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. There we go. I love that. Yeah, me. I am Mackenzie, and I'm once again joined by the Canadian B. Arthur. Oh, yes. The director extraordinaire who is taking a well-deserved rest after directing three shows this spring. Yeah. Autumn Smith. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. So, we are here today to talk about what musical, Autumn, what what musical are we talking about today? How are we kicking off season two? We are kicking it off with a very traditional musical theater, classic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition, tradition. Tradition. So good. So, oh, I know. So good. So good. It is in the pantheon of musicals. Like, this is yeah. the musical of musicals. Like, like, it's very hard to find. Like, people say Gypsy is the best book musical. Mm-hmm. I hate, I have to say, I think Fiddler on the Roof beats it. I think so. Like, I, and I love Gypsy. I do. I, do. I love it. But this is, this could very easily translate into just play form. Yes. Live on its own yeah. and be just as successful. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me a little bit, you know, I, I just had this revelation that's a little bit like Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both of them are like. And it has that displacement and mm-hmm. I'll never Searching forget the watching the Tony Awards snippet of the Grapes of Wrath. Steppenwolf did it years ago with Gary Sinise. Oh, that would be and, good. Yeah, yeah. And it was my favorite. It was literally my favorite book in high school. I chose this musical, The Fiddler on the Roof, for us to kick off season two. Tell and, everyone why this is our season two opener. Well, there's a new, there's numerous reasons. The first one being that it's easily in my top five musicals. Second reason is that I love Russian history. So this is really a fascinating time within the Russian history as it was the time when you had the first revolution against the Tsar regime happening, which then when that failed, they targeted the Jews 
And that's where you had all these pogroms and that's where this story kind of picks up. So it's a really turbulent time within the Russia and Ukraine. So it's a really fascinating moment in history where you're seeing the fall of a dynasty and the rise of the people. And you're seeing the effects of that. You're seeing, you're seeing how these changes affected the little people on the ground who really had no care in the world. So the political machinations of the Bolsheviks, also known as the Soviets, the imperialists. The story of Tevya and his family, like that's another reason why I chose it. I think it's a very powerful story, all, all about this family that gets split asunder by the changing world, whether it's from his own daughters and their changing views, yeah. or it's just the wider political machinations of the world that kind of split this family a- apart. And it's also interesting where it's a musical that that allows people to grow with it. Like some people start as like the littlest daughter on stage of Tevya's and they ultimately become Golda and Yenta. Or from Osara. It's multi-generational, like, which is it's, lovely. It is. It's very much like Les Mis, where like you start as a garage or young Cosette, and then you work your way to being a Valjean or a Fontaine. When um, you go through the Marius, and then you go into yes. the Valjean, and then you get to play the priest when you're past Valjean. It's true. Look at Colm hey, Wilkinson. Look at Colm Wilkinson. Way to go, Colm. Yeah, I know. We love you. Uh, yeah. yeah. In fact, Colm was actually shooting that scene when I worked with him on a workshop <gasps> okay we yeah. need to do a side story about that i need to hear that's all the side story yeah but yeah yeah this is a multi-generational story i think that's why it's lasted such a long time is that everybody in their family can come back and relate to a different part of the story depending on when you come into it well and it's not about big ideas mm-hmm. i mean there's bigger ideas surrounding it you know that that hold it in its container but mm-hmm. really it's about something that Every single family can relate to mm-hmm. it's the it's legacy. Yep. What we want to pass on to our children. It's about tradition. Yep. It's you know it's about the little minute you know love that exists. Yes. And then it broadens out to include the larger community. Mm-hmm. You know of friends and neighbors, and yes. we can all re- we. It's relatable. It's yep. not like. Uh, you know, certain musicals are are not relatable. Neither are they supposed to be mm-hmm. um, yep. to the masses. But this one is. This yes. one is relatable, and there's nothing cynical about it. No. And I think you know, if you look at something like Music Man, there mm. there's a cynicism in and and the swindling of a small community exactly they're making fun of the small city they're making fun of uh, they're making fun of the mayor and the quartet and and the pickle little ladies and it it, like parade like parade is another example where cynicism is somewhat evident you know absolutely i mean i just look at the way they depict the southerners in that show Listen, listen to our episode, season one and episode six. But you know what? You still want to side with them. Because yeah, well, yeah. he presents them like the, he presents them cynically yet endearingly, mm-hmm. which is, it just adds to the complexity of that musical. But uh, yeah. Fiddler doesn't need to do that. It is, no. it is just so relatable. Yes. And honest. It's genuine. I don't know if there is a more genuine mm-hmm. musical. Yeah. Like it's I completely agree. Bare bones, it is what it is. Yep. Yes. Good storytelling and it's it's relatable to every single person on this planet. It's like yes. a good piece of music. 
Yeah, and we will discuss why it is related when we get to our production history because that we have Joan Robbins to thank for that. So I'm sure we will get to that. In the meantime, so people who don't know what Filler on the Roof is about, because you know, there are some people who haven't ventured that this far into the newspaper <laughs> canon to tackle this show. So if you don't know, a Fiddle on the Roof is adapted from Tevya or Tevya the Dairyman and his daughters, which is a series of stories by Shomalekum. He wrote them in Yiddish between 1894 and 1914 when he died. And they were all about Jewish life in a village of the pale settlement of Imperial Russia at the turn of the 20th century in and around 1905-1910. The musical centers on Tevya, the father of five daughters, and his attempts to maintain his Jewish religion, religious and cultural traditions, as outside influences encroach upon the family's lives. He must cope with both the strong-willed actions of his three eldest daughters, Saitel, Matel, and Hava, as each of them wish to marry for love versus through a matchmaker. And each of their choices of husband pushed Tevia a little bit further away from the customs of the Jewish faith and heritage. And ultimately, it is the actions of Hava, who is the youngest of the three eldest daughters, and her choosing to marry outside the faith that ultimately pushes Tevia to basically exile her and consider her dead. And if that isn't sad enough that a parent has to consider their child dead, the musical ends with the entire village of Jews of Anna, from Anatevka all being evicted from their homes and split asunder into the wider world. So yes, it's a very heavy musical that has, uh, the, yeah, it's a very heavy story. It is a very, uh, it is a very heavy story, but there's also light. It's, so it's, much it's, light present, right? Mm-hmm. And that comes oh, from it, Tevya. And it, 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 the sun rises and the sun sets, but yes. the sun rises again. Yes. And it is, you know, it is just one more story about the plight of the Jewish people and Mm -hmm. the constant pilgrimages, pilgrimages that they have to endure Mm -hmm. because of Christianity. And I, ah, Why do religious conversation, Autumn? We can do a side because it's conversation. So, it, it's not like as someone who is, you know, was brought up in a very religious, in a liberal way mm-hmm. uh, household. I, that is not if there is a Christ, if that is what you believe, mm-hmm. that is awesome. And many people do. And that is wonderful. But he was not put on this earth to promote hate or alienation. Nope. Yep. I think. Uh, the point of that gets missed constantly. That's her religious corner. I'll leave that on. And we cut it down from a three hours to a 10 minutes. Five hours. Fantastic. (laughs) That was great. Perfect. Okay. So we're now to the point where we have basically a majority of a new production team that we're covering today. Like, Uh, except for Jerome. Jerome and Hal. Those are the only two that carry over from season one. But other than that, we have two big new names that are added to our roster of production people. We have three big new names. Three big new names. Three big new names. Three big new names. Let's start start with the composer, uh, Jerry Bach, Mm -hmm. uh, born in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, Mm -hmm. He studied piano as a child. Yep. Went to uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, and where he wrote his first musical, Big as Life. Right. That toured and enjoyed a run in Chicago. After graduating from university, he spent three summers at the Tenement Playhouse in the Poconos. Ooh. Um, and wrote early television series. So he made his Broadway debut in 1955 when he contributed songs to the musical Catch a Star. Okay. And then the following year, he worked on the musical Mr. Wonderful, which was designed for Sammy Davis Jr., who I love. I love Mr. Wonderful. And then he worked on the Ziegfeld Follies of 1956. Fun. I love it. I love it. And it closed out of town. After that, he, shortly after that closed, he met Sheldon Harnick, the lyricist of this wonderful work. And they forged a successful partnership. They went on to collaborate on The Body Beautiful, but it failed to charm critics. And then, but however, it caught the attention of director George Abbott and Hal Prince. Mm -hmm. So this was their introduction to Hal. Uh, These guys hired um mm-hmm. Bach and Harnick to mm-hmm. work on a musical biography of the former New York City mayor Fiorello LaGuardia and it was ah. Fiorello and it earned both of them the New York Drama Critics Circle award for best musical and the Tony award for best musical tied wow. with the team of the sound of music <laughs> So I'm going to have to do some research and check out this musical. Yeah, um, let, me, let me end up on our later seasons. I know. It also won the Pulitzer for drama. There okay, you go. so clearly this is somewhat of a good musical. That may yes. have been forgotten to time. Yeah, yeah. And of course they did Fiddler, which is why we're here today, yes. which is probably their most popular and prolific work. Absolutely. But they prolifically performed work. But they also worked on Tenderloin. You might have heard of that, Tenderloin. Nope. Man in the Moon, The Apple Tree, The Rothschilds. And they contributed to Never Too Late, Baker Street, her first Roman. That sounds interesting. Yes. And The Mad Woman of Central Park. Okay, that one sounds really interesting. I think it's probably based on The Mad Woman of Child. I- yeah, their other famous, like somewhat famous musical is She Loves Me, which just right. celebrated a revival a few years ago. Yes, and that is important to the Fiddler on the Roof history, which we will get into. It does tie into that. There is a Jerry Bach Award for Excellence in Musical Theater. It's an annual grant presented to a composer and lyricist of a project developed in the BMI Lehman Angle Musical Theater Workshop fantastic yeah yeah cool cool yeah a varied career and now i'm gonna have to we're gonna have to seek out these other musicals i think fiorello is one we're definitely gonna have to investigate and absolutely i don't know she loves me i know she loves me but that's it that's all i know Mm -hmm. so uh, he has passed on yes uh, but he recently too yeah he spoke 10 days before his own death at the funeral of Joseph Stein. That is fascinating. We're going to talk about it very soon. Yeah, that's sad and fascinating all at the same time. So the lyricist is Sheldon Harnick, and right. he was born to American Jewish parents, grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He, the family spoke a little bit Yiddish, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly to tell secrets between them. I think is hilarious. Harnick began like writing for music when he was still in high school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then he went into army service, which is I, amazing, amazing that he did that. Yeah. And he may have served. I think he may have served in World War II. Okay. Which I'm sure, I mean, he's, it says he graduated from the Northwestern University School of Music in 1946 to 1949. Mm. Um, but maybe after high school, he went, I don't know. But yeah, that, very, very possible. I mean, the implications of that on this musical would be pretty staggering, right? Yes, it would. That would definitely uh, have a ripple on him. For sure. He, so he graduated from Northwestern mm-hmm. with a degree, a bachelor's in music. Mm-hmm. And then he worked in various Chicago or orchestras. When he moved to New York, he wrote for several musicals and reviews. He was friends with Charlotte Ray and went to see her one night at the Village Vanguard, which is this, I don't, I, if you ever go to New York, I get, if we ever get out of this quarantine, <laughs> go to the Village Vanguard. Okay. It's like this small little jazz club. Ooh. I want to say you went Marsalis there and like there's like 10 seats in the place oh perfect awesome very sustainable (laughs) yeah and he he met yip harpberg there Mm -hmm. who was one of his idols and he heard that she had decided to sing one of harnick's songs okay so they they met and he advised harnick to work with a lot of composers Perfect. So he he went and did that until 1956 when he met Jerry Bach. Okay. And he wrote, of course, everything with him that we've already mentioned. Yeah. He's written librettos for operas. Yes. And including Coyote Tales with Henry Molokone, mm-hmm. the lyric opera of Kansas City. Okay. And he, co- he wrote the lyrics and co-wrote the book with Norton Jester for the musical The Phantom Tollbooth. I remember that book growing up as a kid. Yeah. And that premiered at the Kennedy Center in 2007. So he was still writing up until really recently. Not that long ago. (laughs) Then we have the wonderful Joseph Stein who wrote the book. Yes. And Stein, born in New York, Jewish parents Mm -hmm. who had immigrated from Poland. Mm -hmm. He grew up in the Bronx, went to Columbia University and got a master's of social work degree. Why not? Why not? You know what? I, it made him a better writer. Yes, it did. Guaranteed because he was able to empathically, empathetically look at the world around him. Mm -hmm. Guarantee it. Yeah. Amazing. And when he was beginning his work as a psychiatric social worker, he was writing comedy on the side. Of course. Probably as a stress relief. I would um, He had a chance encounter with Zero Mostel, and that led him mm. to write for several several radio personalities, Atulula Bankhead, Phil Silvers, mm-hmm. Jackie Gleason, mm-hmm. and he later started working with Sid Caesar on your show of shows. Right. And with people like Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, and one of my favorites, Neil Simon. Oh. Um, love him. Me too. He made his Broadway debut, contributing sketches to review Lend an Ear. Right. And then he was asked, this is my favorite. He was asked to work on a musical about Pennsylvania 
that would promote the state in the same way that Oklahoma did for Oklahoma. Pennsylvania, where the trees go sloping down the plains. That's very good. Thank you. you. Have this musical. I think. Anyway, he wrote a musical where he drew on the inspiration of the Amish community in Lancaster County. Love it. So it was called Plain and Fancy. I love it. I think it's I've, amazing. I think it's shoot up in Muskoka, you know, I, I, I a dude in a local barn. I mean, you know, we could do the winter scene right now. It's a quite literally another <laughs> blizzard, but it, it's a whiteout. I do, it's April what? 16th, people. 16th, it's April 16th here, but apparently not. He wrote Fiddler, which won the Tony. And then he wrote this the adaptation for the film. Yes, he did. And then he wrote wonderful musicals that didn't go many very far. He wrote Baker's Wife. Mm, Baker's Wife. And he wrote Rags. One of your faves, like Rags, is so beautiful. I got a feeling, Autumn. Bible. We'll be covering Rags in the very yes. near future because because oh. I, I guarantee we were, when, when I look at the seasons four through eight schedule that I sent you, oh I guarantee you Rags will pop in there in as a, one of your early choices. So we'll have to see. So good, mm-hmm. it is so good. Yeah, like I can't. What? Probably, uh, uh, probably one of the shortest run. Yeah, I think it was even shorter than Merrily. So I think, yeah, Rags Man oh. is our shortest run oh, no, no, no. Broadway it show. Open and close within a week of opening. Like, yeah. close within a week, I think. Nine so there you go. Maybe? Yeah. So sad. And Meadowlark from Baker's Wife. Mm, like, so sad. Patty Lapone. And um, Topol. That, that production star Topol, right. infamously. That is right. Hear all about Patty LuPone's tribulations with that show in her memoir. So the other thing that Stein did, he wrote all about us with Kendra Neb, right? Um, based on Wilder's Thorn Wilder's Skin of Our Teeth, Love that. Uh, and he also there there was also recently an encore presentation of a production of Mark Litstein and Joseph Stein's Juno, which was based on Sean O'Case's Juno and the Paycock. Yeah, and it was at the New York city center for five performances love it directed by the wonderful gary hines from the druid theater perfect in ireland love it where i took my my tour of bedbounds to look at you yeah no they were connection amazing an amazing company brilliant brilliant people (laughs) like gary's gary's awesome i love it so yeah and then of course we have hal prince we've talked at nauseum about Hal, so i'm not yes. gonna mention him as yeah. a producer he produced it like that uh, uh, was his contribution yeah and then jerome robbins directed it and talk to just very briefly a reminder of yeah. the, our friend jerome robbins it's been a while yeah so to season one west side story yeah choreographer director dancer mm-hmm. theater producer Yep. Worked in classical ballet, film, stage, mm-hmm. television, responsible for On the Town, Peter Pan, 
King and I, Pajama Game, Bells Are Ringing, West Side Story, Gypsy, Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Of course, the film version of this musical was directed by the wonderful Norman Jewison. Canadian. Canadian. Not Jewish. Icon. Not Jewish. Yeah. Put a lot of Judaism into his film, though. Uh, he did. A lot of symbolism that was very overt. Yes. And then most recently, a version was directed in Yiddish, yes. which everyone I know that saw it said was a revelation. And it was yeah. directed by Joel Gray. Gray, the wonderful MC from mm-hmm. the original wizard from Wicked. Love it. All the great okay. stuff. Yeah. Joel- we'll get into that production. Yes. We will get into that. But okay. yes. All right. So now sit back, Autumn, because now we get to go through the production history of this epic, epic I feel show. Like I to go for a break. It's going to yeah. be a while. Yeah. Light your cigarette. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> so the process of developing this musical started when Sheldon Harnick was given a copy of Sean Malekum's other book, Wandering Stars, which is about a touring Yiddish theater group described as very Dickensian of a novel. So he thought, oh, this would be great. So he takes it to his writing partner, Jerry Bach, and they both agree, great story, great material. Okay, let's take it to our partner, Joe Stein, to write the book of this show. Joe Stein reads it and goes, no, this isn't the material you want. He says, instead, go look at the Tevye stories. Because I read them growing up as a kid in Yiddish, and I think they'll do much better for us. So sure enough, they go to the bookstore, they find a copy, they read it, they go, yeah, okay, this makes sense. So sure enough, off they go to adapt the stories. This wasn't the first time they were going to be adapted, actually. Shomalek himself wrote a dramatic adaptation of the stories that he left unfinished upon his death. But the production was produced in 1919 by the Yiddish Art Theater and was made into a film in the 1930s. And then the late 1950s, a musical based on the stories called Tevya and His Daughters was produced off-Broadway by Arnold Pearl. And some other big names that were considering adapting it were Rogers and Hammerstein and then Mike Todd. Some big names of the theater were already lying this material. So clearly this was a popular piece of literature that people were really interested in getting to the stage. So, but we lucked out. We got Bach, Harnick, and Stein doing it. So off they went to write it. From all accounts from them, it was a very collaborative experience where basically they went back and forth where somebody would write a lyric, somebody could write a piece of music that would inspire them. And they just kind of played off each other and created a whole plethora of unused songs from for, for, uh, for this musical. You could write a whole new musical with all the unused songs that they discarded. So, but when you listen to the, uh, the Scar songs, you can hear the inklings of the songs that would eventually become the songs of the show, like If I Were a Rich Man, Anna Tevka, Tradition, all those melodies or lyrics would crop up in other songs that they cut. So really interesting to listen to those cut lyrics and songs. Yeah. Their issue, though, was that trying to get a producer to back the project because they took it to many producers and they all said, this is a really great script. Like it, The music sounds good. But... Unfortunately, the material's too dark. We don't, uh, we don't think backing this is a good investment for us. 
because, you know, life. You don't think audiences are going to be interested in watching a show about a pogrom against the Jews in the shtetl. So eventually they turned to their previous collaborator that Autumn talked about, Mr. Hal Prince. He showed up and they took it to him and they said, listen, we think you could do this. And he read it and said, I don't get it. So Harnick gave him a copy of a book about Jewish shtetls. He read it and went, okay, I get it, but I don't think I am the director for this project because they had offered him to direct the project. But he said, I don't think I, it'll, it'll, this will work for me. So he said, go talk to my collaborator who I've worked with, Mr. Jerry Robbins. So off they went to Jerry Robbins and they gave him the script and the music. And the first thing he wrote at the top of his page of his notes was, this play must celebrate and elevate the life of the Jewish shuttle and its people. So with that note, he then returned to the team and went, okay, let's work on this. And he started to really be the driving force to reshape the show, make it a more universal show. Because his big question to them was always, what is the show about? And they would always answer with kind of the same response of, well, it's about Tevia and his daughters and, and he's a milkman and they're going through a pogrom and they're being evicted. And Jerry would go, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. What is this about? And eventually Hal got frustrated with him and said, oh, for God's sake, Jerry. It's about tradition, isn't it? And Jerome Robbins said, yes, exactly. So he said, write that into a song. And so they took their original opening of the song, which was, we've never missed a Sabbath yet, which was Olda and the Daughters preparing for Sabbath. And they turn that melody into tradition. which was, which is the opening song of the show. And for the eight weeks of rehearsal, he refused to stage it until the very end when they forced him to stage it and he staged the whole number, that epic opening number in 30 minutes. And he, that knew, crowd, he knew exactly where he was going to go with that. Yeah, exactly. And he knew he had to build the community first before he could do the song so he could get genuine responses out of the actors to so he could inform his choreography. Look at that. He went backwards it's mm. like one of my favorite musicals yes last five years wow mm. no merrily merrily <laughs> last night you were tricky trying to trick me mackenzie a hard i know i know and you fell <laughs> i did i was like wait a second <laughs> only part of that goes backwards last night yes Exactly. Right. So, so the other thing he did was to help create the community was he made sure all 40 cast members had a character name and a profession within the community. Well, that's he, smart. Yeah. So, because he didn't want them to be some random ensemble member. He wanted them to be Ramnakam the beggar or Laser Wolf the butcher or Yenta right. the matchmaker or... The rabbi's son. The rabbi's son, beekeeper. Whoever, he wanted to make sure that they knew who they were within the community. And the other big concept he worked with throughout the whole show was the concept of circles. So he had the most inner circle being Tevya and his family, the second circle being that of the Jewish community of Anatevka, 
And the third circle of the show being that of the Russians and other members of the community, such as the constable and the other outside members of this community in Anantevka. So basically he split them into in different circles. And the whole idea was to use this concept of circles and show the way that the circle was being splintered and basically broken by the changing of traditions and ultimately the eviction of them from Anantevka and how that circle eventually becomes a line. And that idea came up even in the film when you watch uh, the final exodus on a Tevka and there's the group of villagers sitting at Nova crossroads and you see them standing in a circle and then they disperse different directions. That's right. They do. So that did come back, the whole idea of the circle. And as you pointed out in our first recording, the idea of the circle also being a very insular concept as well, where it is it doesn't let people in uh, 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 once you're out of one circle you don't get back into a circle once you're out so very interesting to look at that as well there's i'm i was looking up like judaism and circles if there's any significance yeah apparently they jewish people in the jewish faith they're not so into circles no because be life is a circle, then death is not an end. Death is not a tragedy. Death is only an invitation to rebirth and renewal. Oh. So in Judaism, you find few circles. Jewish tradition rebelled against circles because it perceived the deadly implications of this belief. Life as a circle is closed. It's pattern fixed and nothing can enter. Nothing new can enter. Mm. Which and then he went with circles. So can no one get into yeah. Tevia's circle? Can no one get into like what was the commentary? It's interesting, right? I, I want to look that up. Just mm-hmm. curiosity. No, absolutely, absolutely. Like it's a very, it's, it is a very interesting thing where, where where it's the whole idea of circles, where Tevia is continually having to float between his two circles, whether he's choosing to side with his family and the whole idea of letting Seitel and Hoddle marry for their choice of husband. Well, and that breaks the circle. It does. It, 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 exactly. It breaks them away from the community. And the community doesn't like that this change, as we see later on in the show. They're very much against, the, they're called, called radical, the, this whole idea. And then it's the same thing later on in the show where he, where Tevye makes the one time in the show where he chooses community over family, and that's with Abba. And he chooses to side with the community against Hava for marrying outside the circles. Which is sad. So, it very much is, and, and he doesn't get to reconnect with Hava until the very end of the show when that community circle is broken because of the eviction and they're all being separated. So basically once that it, just, a middle circle is broken and like, it's just that insular family circle again by itself, he's able to reconnect with Hava. I, just, uh, I, have last I have issues that he didn't choose his daughter well it makes for great drama i mean i mean at that point in the show you gotta shake it up a bit i mean i know i mean dramaturgically is that return to empathy at the very end mm-hmm. when, when he says and god be with you it's that sliver right. of of him going the sliver of hope but it's just exactly. uh, tradition. tradition yes Yes, tradition. tradition makes it messy. It does. It does. And how many times has that happened in real life with people? It's a very prevalent, realistic depiction of what happens when people well, choose just, to I go outside people, the circle. I, yeah, or choose otherness. 
Yes. Like I think of people in the LGBTQ plus communities and why, like, I'm astounded that people are still exiled from their families. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't, you cannot love a child and exile them from your family. Mm -hmm. You have something wrong with you. Yep. You are being selfish. It's like John Proctor from The Crucible and his name. Yes. You're choosing my yourself. Name. You're choosing yourself and your perceived legacy and your name over the love of your child. Shame on you. Shame. Yep. That is my other preach for today. <laughs> Got a lot of preaches today, Mackenzie Hart. I love it. This one well, brings it show out. Lends its yeah, the show brings it out. So yeah, skipping through my notes here. Other big things he did, what Robbins did when he was creating the show was he wanted to ensure that there were no musical dance numbers that were very, just were dance for the sake of a dance. He wanted to make sure everything was natural <laughs> and that the dances came out of an organic place in the show. The only time he ever broke with that rule was when he did the bottle dance at Seidel and Mottle's wedding. Because he saw, because when he did research for the wedding, he went to real bar mitzvahs. And at one point he saw a drunk uncle at this bar mitzvah dancing with a bottle on his head. And he thought that was such a creative idea. That was the one moment of, the, of his choreography for the show where he particularly makes it a show piece. That it's, that, uh, yeah, it's, but it still fits. And that's what makes Jerome Robbins a great choreographer. Yes. Musical dance breaks should always fit as if you're just speaking dialogue you're just dial conversing in a different way it's a well, well, it's like an yeah. activation moment i'm not a big fan of dance breaks that just come out of nowhere mm -hmm. and that's I, a very old style of musical where the dance breaks yeah. kind of crop up and it's like oh but I mean, you okay? Like, I guess we're having that we're, moment now. When we're reviving these musicals, we have to look at what, why they're there, yep, and what purpose they are serving. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't stand it when people just throw in a time step because they think that looks good. Yep. Would your character do a time step like in this moment? Mm -hmm. Why? Like, mm -hmm. there has to be the same drama liturgical fierceness yes around physical engagement on stage as there is with the text yes so i'm glad jerome did that he may yeah. be flawed seriously oh, he was a very flawed man people have said that many times wow. he was quite he, difficult to work with i like that and i love that the bottle dance wasn't really a thing until he saw one uncle doing it yeah like it's not part of you know the culture it's, no. It was just one uncle. Yeah, that's what it was. Great. It, it was just one uncle having a good time at a bar mitzvah that inspired that iconic moment of the show. And I'm sure he's conned a lot of non-Jewish people into believing that's part of the Jewish culture. Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. it's his little like wink, wink suckers. You know? <laughs> it's his absolutely. cynicism in the show. Yes. 
Yes, right. absolutely. When it came to casting for the show, it was Robbins who requested that it be Zero Mustel to play the role of Tevia, as he felt the role of Tevia needed to be larger than life. And Zero Mustel certainly filled that yeah. bill. The only hurdle with them was that the two of them did not get along, as Mustel held great animosity against Robbins for when he named names at the McCarthy hearings which he was forced to do because if he didn't name names, they would have outed him as being gay. So basically they kind of twisted Robbins' arm. Yeah, again, again, like, just an absolute witch hunt. Oh, it was. Well, that's what got inspiration for The Crucible for Arthur Miller. Oh yeah, Um, 100%. Yeah, that's very well noted. But yeah, Yeah. the two of them, even though they didn't get along personally, they were able to get along for show-wise. And so they worked well during the show. I wonder if there was some level of forgiveness, if there was some... No, no, <laughs> no. In the documentary, they talk about the relationship. And in the book, Wonder of Wonders, Miracle of Miracles, they talk about how on a personal level, they just never saw eye to eye. It was basically they just came in and did the job. That was their job. And you know what? That's okay. As long as you can do that. We have people that we hate working with. Yep. And if they're good. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't so, make for a very pleasant working experience. No, but hey, if you as long as you get the show done and it comes out well, you're good. Yeah. But yeah, yeah so the show opened with out-of-town trials in Detroit. And due to a newspaper strike, there were no initial reviews that were going to be released. But Hal contacted the newspapers and said, what was the review going to be before, we, before, before the strike? And the comments were that there were no memorable songs. The book is flat. Besides Zero, the rest of the cast was forgettable. And the dancing was undistinguished. Yeah. So Robbins, upon hearing these reviews, set out to make refinements, cuts, and he swore that he was going to make up to 10 different changes a day. Uh, which, when you're doing a show at night and changes by day, it's quite a it's quite a lofty goal to say we're doing ten big changes to the show. So one of his major changes came when he removed the song "When Messiah Comes." When Messiah comes, he will say to us, "I apologize that I took so long, but I had a little trouble finding you over here a few and over there a few." You were hard to reunite, but everything is going to be all right. Which was a song sung by the rabbi right after the eviction. Notice comes, and it was a very ironic, sarcastic song all about what the all about what the Messiah will say when he eventually comes for the Jewish people. And audiences weren't laughing at it. And so when the creative team talked to audience members, they said, "Well, we're not laughing because it's not a funny moment." It's a very heavy, sad moment of the show, this exodus. And so they went, okay. So they took that song out and they took the chorus of another song called Letters to America. In Anatevka, Anatevka, thoroughly orthodox Anatevka, where else could Sabbath be so sweet? Anatevka, Anatevka, obstinate orthodox Anatevka, though pigs may wander through the street. And they took that chorus and slowed it down to create the song Anatevka. 
which is the climactic song of the show. And with all these changes, the next stop in, in Washington earned the cast rave reviews. It was the best reviews they ever got for the show. Audiences were enthralled. Uh, awesome. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then from there, the show opened on Broadway on September 22nd, 1964. The cast included Zero Mostel as Tevye the Milkman, Maria Carnalova as his wife Golda, B. Arthur as Yenta the Matchmaker. Like, there's a fun little. I love that. But I don't think it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerome Rollins was never happy with the casting of B. Mm. Arthur. He just went, I didn't have anybody else better to do the part, so you got it. <laughs> Which, as an actor, I'm sure that was very disheartening. He kept cutting a lot of Yenta lines because he didn't like working with B. Arthur. She's too cynical. Like, there's not, like, that's she what happened to B. Arthur. Like, she's dry and. Yes. Husky, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yenta isn't that. Yenta is very much what you see yeah. in the film. Much more Estelle Getty. Estelle Getty would have been a great Yenta. Yes. 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 Yeah. She can't tower over Tevia. Like, no. Like, it doesn't make sense. Right? I know that that's type because I just don't think it's her hit. Like, do you no. know? I, no, I, exactly. And she's a great actor. And she there's is. Nothing against B. Arthur. Yeah, she actually made a really interesting Golda, if anything. See, see, see yeah. Golda would have been a much more interesting bit of casting. Or for Sarah. She would have been a brilliant from a Sarah. Very, very different from a Sarah. She, she, yeah, but she could be like, smoking, but what is this about your daughter marrying my husband? <laughs> Sounded like Harvey Fierstein. Yeah. Oh. I'm sure you're getting to. We are getting to Harvey Firestein. But yes, so B. Arthur is Yenta the Matchmaker, Austin Pendleton as Mottled, Bert Convoy as Perchick the Student Revolutionary, Gino Corvetti as the Fiddler, Julie Mingus as Huddle, Joanne Merlin originated the role of Seitel, and that role will later be assumed by Bette Midler, who started out on the ensemble as Rivka, the Shoemaker's daughter, and she eventually moved right to being Seitel. So yes, I Bette love Midler. that. Right? I love Ben Midler. I love Ben Midler. So she makes a great Golda. I'm just saying it. If they're gonna do a new film version, she would make a like cast her as Golda. That's gold. Oh, it's snowing now here. Yay. Send it your way. (laughs) Yeah, you sent it my way. When the show opened, it received mixed reviews with Walter Kern writing his review. The result is a very near miss, and I very much miss what it might have been. But the reviewers were all wrong because the word of mouth for the show was fantastic and resulted in lineups being around the block to purchase tickets in the days after the show opened. And the show proved so successful that they moved it to a bigger theater in 1967, The Majestic, and they moved it again in 1970 to the Broadway Theater. And the show... It's relatable. Exactly. Audiences proved the critics wrong. And... Yeah, the show set a record total run total runs of three thousand two hundred and forty-two performances. Nice. So one of the longest running shows yeah. in Broadway history. Well, uh, yeah, the original production itself was nominated for ten Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Director, Best Choreographer, Best Producer, Best Book and Score, Best Performance for Leading Actors, or Almost Still, and Best Leading Actress 
or sorry, Best Featured Actress for uh, Maria Karnalova. Ultimately, it won nine out of the ten. The only one it didn't win was for Best Scene Design for Born to Aronson, uh, which is too bad because his set, which was all the, which was based off the of Marc Chagall paintings, where the musical gets its name from. Yeah, it, yeah. Apparently, that was a beautiful set with all the little houses around the proscenium yeah. that lit up. Apparently, Chagall saw the show and didn't like the show, so there's something for you. Yeah, but whatever. The show opened in the West End on February 16th, 1967 at Her Majestic's Theater, which I believe is where the Phantom is now in the West End, if I'm correct, Autumn. Her, it's called Her Majesty's, I think. Her Majesty's. Yes, sir. Yes, Her Majesty's Theater. Oh. Yeah, so that's where the Phantom is now. So that's where yes. Fiddler opened in 67, and it played for a total of 2,030 performances. Wow. And that production starred Topol, and he brought his performance over from Tel Aviv. So he didn't know the, sh- the role in English. He knew it in Hebrew. So he had to relearn the role in English yeah. when he came to London. And it was wow. during the production that, as we said, director Norman Jewison saw Topol perform. And it was due to Topol's realistic performance of Tebia that got him the part in the film versus Zero Mostel. Uh, yeah. a much more shtick based con- a comedic actor and yeah Jason felt you needed a real dirt boots to the ground performance and that's why Topol got it and I love Topol in this role I- it's his role most people say Zero must still originate the role Topol's the one who everybody tries to emulate every performance you see of that show like it, you can see people trying to get and get to the topo of, of the part we got to see his humanity yes and i think that's great i think yeah it was complicated there was a lot of gray there was no black and white there was no shtick yeah it was just yeah it was just relaxed and casual like there was a yes. casual everydayness mm-hmm. to him and i love that about him. his yes performance. absolutely yeah. musical i saw him live do it live see and i was supposed to see him live we will get to that story momentarily but autumn was lucky when he got to see him perform the role live which i am envious of because i'm sure it was fantastic getting what? to see that performance it was like it's his I role also had cappuccino for the first time that evening Ooh. so well that's another memorable moment too it was a good moment. It was a good moment. <laughs> so the show has been popular over the ages. It's been revived in 1981, 1991, 2004, 2015, and 2018 off Broadway with the Yiddish production directed by Joel Gray. <laughs> Which, as Autumn said, has earned rave reviews because it's because the show is such a history that people could come see the show and just experience the show in its native language. And that's a, it's a very rare treat for audiences to do. And you have to earn that with the audience. Totally. Where the, where the audience needs to know the story well enough that they can follow without being taken out by the language barrier. Yeah, it, and it, you know, it's one, it's a musical that's easy to follow and it can transcend language. Yes, exactly. Like it, it can transcend it. Yes, So I absolutely. think that's, you know, that's the other thing that makes it really relatable, that, that ability of transcendence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
The other notable Tevias who have taken on the role include Mr. Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy, uh, which I would really interested to see, oh. Herschel Bernardi, Danny Burstein, Alfred Molina, Harvey Firestein, and Paul Leibson, who has clocked in the most performances, starting from the original production to several revivals as Tevya. He has played the role over 2,000 performances. Like, that's a lot of Tevyas. That's a lot of deedle diddles. Deedle diddle dums. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other notable Goldas include Rowie Fontaine, Randy Graff, Andrea Martin, Rosie O'Donnell, Judy Kuhn, Maria Friedman, and original film title Rosalind Harris. So some big names have come on into this show. The musical was made into a very successful film in 1971, and it was directed and produced by Norman Jewison and, and United Artists. As we said, Joe Stein adapted his uh, script into a screenplay. The film itself was, was hailed with critical acclaim. It won three Academy Awards, including Best Music Scoring Adaptation, and Best Original Song Score for Arranging Conductor Mr. John Williams of Star Wars fame himself. He also, it also was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for Topol, and Best Supporting Actor for the actor playing Muscle Comes Oil. But yeah, We'll do a full breakdown of all that film stuff when we get to the film commentary in, in, in the coming years of this podcast. We um, might be but yeah. doing it in five years to prep because I'm sure it's it'll true. be a 10 hour episode. Probably. Probably. Uh, but yeah, they, but yeah, this musical successful worldwide. The film ran for three years in Tokyo. It was a huge hit. But yeah, that's it for production history. Autumn, how did you come to the show? I'll keep it brief. I've known it forever. I feel like I say about every musical, I've known it forever. Mm -hmm. But it's another Mm -hmm. one that my parents had in their record album. So I mean, we Friday night, record night. Yeah. I mean, this was computers and cell phones, Mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, I've seen many community theater productions of this, but then I did see the Topol. I did see Topol do yeah. it years ago. Like it was mm-hmm. my first cappuccino evening. So that's a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. And it was at the, what was then known as the O'Keefe Center, which was now the Sony Center, now something else. And it was the Sony Center and now it's owned by the city. So I don't even know what it's called. It's called, <laughs> there's so many name changes. I can't, but yeah. So yeah, and I do, and I've seen the movie so many times, yeah. and I, I love it. I love it. I, I yeah. watched it before we did this podcast. Coincidentally, oh, so listen to it. Yeah, 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 I have to watch it. You know, balled my ass out. So it was very, you not? very cathartic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. So I came to this in the late '90s when my parents were our Friday night movie, where you'd have to go to the video store to rent it. They rented the two VHS anniversary sets. I love it. I um, love your version of childhood versus mine. <laughs> very different, everybody. You had Friday Night Records. I had Friday Night Movies. Eight tracks were a thing when I was a kid, okay? Let's just get this straight. God. Times have changed, as this ain't anything goes. The Times have changed. And we often rewind the clock. Rewind yes. The clock. Yeah. Since the Puritans got a shock. shock. Yeah. When they landed on Plymouth Rock. Rock. Hey! <laughs> Here we go. Love it. Started. Yeah, I know. But yeah, the film itself, 
I don't remember much of it. I do remember, though, the certain songs being stuck with me, like Tradition <laughs> or If I Were a Rich Man. Both of those were major songs that stuck with me afterwards. And then I, my family went to go see it at Stratford in 2000. I didn't. It was my dad who took my grandparents and our Ukrainian engineer, Nadia, to see it because he knew the fiddler. He knew the actor playing the fiddler. And so he took them to see it. And the uh, Ukrainian engineer, Nadia, did not like the show. She was quite upset by the way that Western audiences were depicting this horrible time in her country's history, where ultimately it's this light, uphearted musical that, which I don't know if that was the direction of it, because this musical really isn't uplighted or hearted, but at the same time, she compared it to doing a musical about the Holocaust, in her opinion. She thought it was a very wrong way to go about depicting this history, but yeah, I haven't seen it, so we don't know. See, I, I, I can see where people would think that. Mm-hmm. There, was, um, there was a film done years ago called Life is Beautiful, La Vite Bella, by Roberto oh, Benigni. Yes. Oscar-winning film. And people were up in arms saying, how can you make a light about mm-hmm. the Holocaust? Well, mm-hmm. hey, guess what? Through humor, we find things accessible. Mel Brooks, notorious and, for that. Well, that's a little far on the spectrum. <laughs> But I mean, that's satire, but I'm talking like, like, like just simple comedic moments, which Fiddler Mm. could have, right? Yeah. And it does, it possesses several comedic moments. Yes. Right. But I think that's what makes it relatable, which makes it Mm. accessible, which makes people think. Yeah. When people think and are curious about it, Mm -hmm. they start to become more empathetic. Yeah, I think Fiddler on the Roof should be played in every school and have conversations about it. And absolutely, you know, talk about it because it is light. It does have music. It is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think music and that kind of perceived lightness mm-hmm. is a way to bring people together and yes. them see things in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So sorry, Nadia. I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I disagree. Yeah. And that's, and that's, what's, great, and that's what's great about art. Art is subjective. Well, and I understand. I mean, you know, the people of Poland and that during World War II there were many atrocities done against them too. We don't really talk about that as mm-hmm. in greater and as in great detail, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think there's all, you just have to you have to look at the bigger picture, right? Yeah. What what the purpose of it is? So I can see why offense would be the first place. Yeah, to yeah, absolutely. I get it. Yeah, I mean, I was so I was 2000, so I was six years old at the time. So I never saw the situation. I just have heard it secondhand from the family. Oh God. You were sick. Okay. Yeah, so in 2009, so skip ahead a few years, I was supposed to also see Topol perform as Tevya in his farewell tour of Fuller on the Roof. However, he blew his shoulder out in Boston. One stop away from Toronto. One bitty bitty bum too many. Yeah, apparently, apparently. And my family, like, yeah, my family had gone full out with the Mervish tickets. Like we went all out, we bought 
six tickets for my for the entire five of us plus my grandfather plus we even bought an extra ticket for my friend to come see it with us too oh my god so we were gun ho for topol Can and then we didn't need mervish tickets what's going on yeah my parents stayed up and we got them got it the minute they came on sale like we were ready at the computer oh to buy the tickets god. like we were excited for topol you guys and yeah then that didn't happen instead the touring production decided to hire Harvey Firestein. I as, love this. I as, love it. As, as Tevya. And if you are expecting Topol, but instead you get, if I were a rich man, heba, 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 heba. I, you do that so well, it freaks me out. <laughs> I think you need to play Edna Turnblatt doing. I would love to play Edna. I think you'd be great. But yes, three hours of Harvey Firestein doing his thing. and my mother was not happy she sat there cross-armed eyebrows furrowed she was not having it she didn't know who he was my dad and i tried to explain to her who like who I he was saying i love them he works in certain situations like edna yes tour song trilogy which he wrote yes so like casual fall yes as yeah, i don't know as, if he, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> he's got the weight to go behind it like he's strapping right and he's God, yes, um, physically, yes, he has that weight to him, but, but vocally, this is a tough like, role. Look, he could be a farmer, right? He, he could be a farmer, but um, I, yeah, I don't know if he could uh, like sing, he it. couldn't sing, no, he couldn't sing. That's part of the issue with three hours of hearing him not sing the part. He's, he's he, a particular caricature of himself, yes, absolutely. That, like, I think therein lies the issue, yes. That's all. Yeah. But yeah, so did that. And then my latest experience was in 2019, this fall, I saw the wonderful documentary made all about the musical called Filler of Miracle of Miracles, which was fantastic. It was a great night. It was opening night of the documentary. The theater was full. And the minute the song on Atefka came on, the entire audience in unison without a signal all started singing the words under their breath. It's crazy. Like, Random strangers, we did not know each other, but we all ended up singing this one song in perfect unison, as if we were the villagers of Anatevka. It was beautiful. But just talk about something that brings your community together, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's done that, obviously. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. It's I beautiful. Love it. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. Autumn, what is your first of your top three songs of the show? How did they change since the last time we did this? Yes. Oh, I'm excited now. What is number originally, one? Originally, my first choice was Tradition. I've gone away from that. What is it now? My first offering is To Life. To us and our good fortune. Be happy, be healthy, love life. Uh, 
And if our good fortune never comes, kiss to whatever comes. Drink the highest. And the yeah. reason why is because the celebration that is inherent in the song mm -hmm. transcends religion. Yes. Race, mm. All of it. Yeah. Right? And it brings two disparate groups together. Yeah. They're supposed to be at odds with each other. And I love that. Like some of the best moments in, in like in theater for me are those moments when those parties can come together made up of innocent people, not people making the decisions. Yeah. It's just people, people mm -hmm. seeing people and sharing in a moment of sheer humanity yep. and setting aside everything else. Yes. And that is why I chose that song. I love it. I love it. I completely agree with you. It is, I, as you said, it's the one moment of the show of what could be mm. because, because you see a moment where either a brawl could break out when the Russian bumps Tevia and during the dance, or as you see in the moment, they come together. Yeah, and it's a beautiful moment. And then right after this moment, you get reminded of, oh, yeah, we're not friends because the constable comes to Tevye and goes, listen, Tevye, I like you, but heads up, we got to do some programming in the village to show we did our job. And it sucks you're not a Jew. Yeah. And once again, it shows that mix of these guys all get along, but they're doing their job in air quotes for the sake of some higher power that's not even there that wouldn't care otherwise. But again, it's like part of it. And it's the reason why Jojo Rabbit was so successful is this idea of blind nationalism. Yes. Like why are, why is that my job? Yeah. Why is burning people's homes my job? Yeah. Like where is the foresight to ask that question? But mm -hmm. sight is gone. It is blind yeah. nationalism. And that's where we get into trouble. Yes. Like, this is what, uh, right? right? That, that is why I like this moment, but it's also yeah. complicated because in that moment, why can't you do something other than what you're doing? Yeah. And it's terrifying mm -hmm. that you don't and walk away. And go, but like, do you need this job? How badly do you need this job? Are you supporting a family? Like, yeah. There are so many questions that go behind this, and we should never be putting people in the situation where they have to be a villain. Yeah. That is it, not the role of a, any kind of political movement mm -hmm. or it should be, mm -hmm. right? Certainly in a democracy. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And these are the same people who at the end of act one will come and ransack the village and destroy Saito and Mato's wedding and, and after celebrating the marriage their, in, their, in a bar. Their shawl and yeah. like, it's just, uh, and all stems from religion again. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But if you move away, if you move away from something that was written by people many many years ago passed down stories passed down yeah we would all just be kind to each other right you would think that <coughs> look i know we're human i know we're mammals i know there is a survival of the fittest mentality that we all mm -hmm. mm -hmm. however 
I also believe we possess a great capacity towards humanity and empathy. We do. What would we be if we started exercising that more? And I think to life brings that home because it looks like possibility. Yeah. It looks like something is possible. Mm -hmm. What would happen Mm -hmm. if we coexisted? Yeah. And this song is beautiful choreography by Jerome Robbins, where you see the two different dance styles, like the very balletic Russian dance style and the very grounded Jewish dance style weave together. Exactly. He so he braids them together. Physically weaves them. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's so smart. It's like it's great. It's creating a new pattern. Yes. It's creating a new circle. And then it gets broken. Yep, it breaks at the end of the number. That moment of happiness breaks. It's beautiful. Great choice, Autumn. Great choice. Thank Uh, thank you, Mac. Thank you. My first choice is Havala slash Tevya's Denial. Little bed, little Havala. I don't understand what's happening today. Everything is all a blur. All I can see is a happy child, the sweet little bird you were. Havale, havale. The big climactic moment of Act Two. Really, it could be looked at as, as the eleven o'clock number because this, the finale song is on a Tevka. Uh, this, this is the moment of the show, and it's the moment that never fails to make me cry. Like. The moment right after Tevius heard the news from Golda and he tells her to go home and he has that low moment on stage where you see him start to try and push the car to move forward and he has to stop and sit down and process the fact that he now has to consider his daughter he was most connected to dead. And it's a moment. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't, but apparently he feels he does. And the moment of an I want moment, as well as a soliloquy moment, as well as a 11 o'clock number, three different songs mixed into one because you it's have his wanting of, yeah, it is. Because at one point you have him wanting to understand the situation. That's his I want. You have his soliloquy where he is doing a Hamlet, basically reflecting on the situation and wondering why you were such a good, sweet little bird. You were Havala. What happened to you? And then you nothing. have, yeah, nothing happened to Hava. Nothing, okay. nothing. And then, and then the Saluki really comes out at the end of the piece when, after the beautiful ballet, which was originally supposed to be a twenty-minute ballet that mm. Robbins cut to, literally thirty seconds to a minute, with beautiful soaring orchestrations, with the with the fiddler and the daughters all dancing with their husbands and the fiddler.
And at the end, you have the great moment of, can I accept them? Yes, I can. Oh, no, I can't. Because if, if I bend that far, I'll break. Accept them. How can I accept them? Can I deny everything I believe in? On the other hand, can I deny my own child? On the other hand, how can I turn my back on my faith, my people? If I try to bend that far, I will break. On the other hand, there is no other hand. No, Chava. No. Tevia has to make that choice. And every time you watch it, you sit in your seat going, yes, you can go that little bit further, Tevia. Go. Make that change. We're rooting but, for him. We are so rooting. And look at well, we can set up that way I to believe he's empathy. going to. I have empathy for Tevia. I have mm -hmm. empathy for any parent mm -hmm. whose child comes to them and makes a choice that they didn't approve. Have as part of their legacy plan. Yeah. I get it. It's something, you know, having children, you know, for a lot of for the most part, it's kind of a selfish act. It right? is. You want to leave a piece of yourself on the earth. Absolutely. And a legacy, and you want to have a little mm -hmm. piece of you continue. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's actually about being selfless. Yes. Because you have to trust that mm -hmm. you have done the best you can for your children. Yeah. And then let them be who they need to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And you have to support them with love. And but I get it. I get how hard it is for parents. I just mm -hmm. think that it's the one time you have to put yourself aside. And Tevya doesn't. It, it, but yet he doesn't make this decision lightly. No. This moment doesn't. has a huge ripple effect on him because yes. after this moment, he never talks to God again. Yes, he sided with his community and with God in that moment. But he never talks to God because up until then, he's talked. The last time he talks to God is right after Huddle leaves and he turns to God and says, Keep her warm. And the very next scene is the reveal that Hava has married outside the faith. And he never <laughs> talks to God, not after the edict, not when he's leaving on a Tevka. He never has another moment like but that. But does he think, like, do you think that he thinks God has forsaken him? Is it kind of a, a, you know, is it one of those moments where he feels forsaken? And is that why he's lost his confidant? Or does he... I think he's angry. I, th I think he's angry at the world. I think he's angry that he had to make that choice. And that he... Well, that's great. Yeah, and that he had to make a choice of the bigger community, where basically it's one against the family. Because he still has two younger daughters, and he has a wife, and he has Saitl in the village still. So it's, do I make the choice of go with Hava and, and, and ostracize my entire family from this community that I live anyway. in? He doesn't know that yet, though. As far as he knows, he's living with them until he dies. But as and soon as he finds out they're leaving... He changes his mind. Kind of. Makes the right move toward changing his mind. A little, I'll tolerate you. Exactly. And I think down the road, if they eventually make it to America, he probably would continue to learn how to tolerate. So, Autumn, what is your number two? My number two has changed. What is I, it? Well, well, my first one had changed. No, I still had to like the last time I did this. Yeah. My second did. one is the new one. 
Okay. And it was a glaring omission between us the last time we recorded this. So sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Swiftly flow the days. Seedlings turn overnight to sunflowers. And you know what? I got thinking about it and I thought, what makes this musical so special is that struggle mm-hmm. with your kids growing up and making their own choices. Well, and it's a multi generational song. Yeah. And, you know, it, like, it's so beautiful. It mm-hmm. really is. And it's about, accepting what you can't control and letting go and still loving yeah i think uh, i just wish there was a reprise of it for hava (laughs) there isn't i know it doesn't get that there's no happy ending really no i mean i mean this is the one still moment of the show where it's it's once again it's an interesting moment of an older couple looking on at a younger couple and going like i i i i like we're like we're now moving into a new section of our life where huh. our children are going to be getting married and moving on in the world. They're going to be creating their own family circle yeah. within this community, and they and have how- no preconception of what lies ahead of them. Their whole idea is of sunrise and sunset. We're going to continue to move in this pattern of that cycle. It's that it's yeah. a, it's the Sabbath cycle, right? Yes, exactly. But like sundown, sundown and like it's all yeah. about is it you know, it takes tradition, but it's starting to slant it and question question themselves and mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah everything goes so quickly. And when you're a parent it does. Like your days go so fast yes. and so slow. Yeah. At the same time. <laughs> like when you're homeschooling, you're like, yeah. please let it be sunset. Yeah. But then, you know, they're you know, with our kids, it's like they're gone after seven days and you're like, Oh, where did it where why are you so tall? Did you grow another inch since I last saw you? It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's huge. Like it's Yeah. Swiftly go the days, right? Yes. Oh. It's a beautiful, there's a reason why it's played at so many weddings. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I get that. It, I it, wish it, it weren't played at weddings unless it was actually sung. By parents? By parents. Yeah. Now that would, oh, that would kill me. Mm. If my parents sang Sunrise, I would not make it through my wedding. You It'll and me happen. both, Autumn, you and me both are going to have very musical weddings. I know, I know. I'm excited. It's be great. Yeah, yeah, it is. The song of the show. Between If I Were a Rich Man and Tradition, this would easily be the third major song of the show. 
Yeah. When people think of filler, this is easily one of the first things oh, that come to mind. For sure. My second choice is, do you love me? And now I'm asking gold. Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And you love me. I suppose I do. Oh. And I suppose I love you. Yeah, like oh, I'm sorry this like this song beats Sunrise Sunset in my opinion because as much as I love Sunrise Sunset this song there's so much to something so simple of a question of do you love me and oh 100% like I, 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 the layers of this song and it's not a difficult song it's a conversation put to music it's very Sondheim in that way yeah it's a conversation it it's, is you know it's there's a lot of there's a lot of rhetoric in it. Yes. And I agree. The idea of arranged marriages is, and you know, I used to do huge Jewish ceremonies as a, a, mm -hmm. a caterer, and I'll never forget this one. Mm -hmm. It was so big. Yeah. And it was arranged. She had only met her husband once before. Oh, boy. And this was Mac millions of dollars on this wedding. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's and she trying to get her to walk down the aisle. She was a mess. Gotta wonder what happened to that marriage. If they ended up like Golden Tavio, they're still married. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Well, that, that's just like Golden Tevia, where they talk about how. Like the first time I met you, I was scared, I was shy, I was nervous, so was I. But my father and my mother said we learned to love each other. And now I'm asking Golda, do you love me? Yeah, and when does that love sink in? Like, it's, you're settling on behalf of tradition. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I've never been in an arranged marriage. Neither have I. I don't think I would like to be in an arranged marriage, but. That's not for us. Because it's not part of our culture to do. No, but I, I think that's what's interesting about the question of it. Like, yeah. do you love me? We've watched all of our children now, basically. Yes. And we'll go off and marry someone that made their heart sing and they're exactly some have butterflies yeah and i mean what do we have this is a big yeah. question is it just it is me? or mm -hmm. is it i mean it's that's a big relationship question oh it's you huge know? like it is huge and it's and it comes right after tevia's given permission for huddle and perchick yeah. to get married and without their without his blessing without his permission that they're, they love each other and they're getting married. And so the way Tevia gets around getting Golda to approve of the situation is he puts the question to her. And this is where you see their two different ideologies collide because Tevia is lofty 
head head thought Angola is his grounded rock that uh, keeps him grounded and you see her trying to rationalize the situation he's asking a not, 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 I don't think metaphorical is the best word but no. it's this big lofty question that she really doesn't care about because she goes no. I'm trying to survive with our family like why talk about love after 25 years like We've starved together. We fought together. We sleep together. We've had a, we've had a family together. What more do you want from me? Right. So yes. interesting. Like in terms of Judaism, the the masculine in that religion are very erudite, very well read, very they're the thinkers. And then you get yeah. the earth that is the feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Have these polar opposites that meet in the middle. Yeah. So that's you know that song works in that way too it is a great it is a great choice and the movie version and her try to work through Mm -hmm. do i love you like is it that's a do i know what love like there's so many questions Mm -hmm. but it's such a human moment yes of i've grown to love you i do your laundry i guess i love you like yeah you've never asked me that before yeah 25 years you've never asked that question it's such a relationship question. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. when do relationships fall apart? You know, like when yeah. when do you realize you've settled and yes. that you're not really happy anymore? Yeah, like, and that's what makes it so tangible mm-hmm. to an audience. Is yeah, we go away asking ourselves those questions. Yes, and it's hard hard i know a lot of people who are in relationships who are not happy yep but it's tradition and it's easier to settle than yeah. to take that shift and go yep absolutely so, yeah well this is a deep episode i like it so what's your third choice autumn did that change from the last time no it did not change i'm keeping with anna tefka One of the great climactic numbers of the show. And doesn't end happy. It's like one of those musicals that don't end happily at all. It's the denouement. It is this life. This is how the chosen people are treated. This is our journey. This Mm -hmm. is our continual journey. Mm -hmm. And it's a moment of discovery for for them as well. They realized that Anatevka isn't a place physically. It'll be a place in them, in the heart. And it's them coming to terms with that moment of, yeah, we're like, we're not going to see each other every day, but we're gonna, but we're gonna live. To, we're all gonna be together in our minds and our hearts. Has been broken. Absolutely, this is the but, moment where the. Uh, yeah, I like it because it's about the place mm-hmm. it becomes another character. I think it always was. I, I think it's, it's an unspoken was, character of the show. It's solidified. Yes. Community is one thing, mm-hmm. but yeah. the place. 
Yeah. Like actual land mm -hmm. in which they resided, Anatevka, mm -hmm. becomes this thing that gets left behind. Yes. So, and after that, what will become of Anatevka? Mm -hmm. And will it still be Anatevka? How many yeah. times can I say Anatevka? But do you know what I mean? Like, there's something about how does the topography of a place shift when its people leave? It's like when I, when your kids leave a house, how does the dynamic within the space shift? Well, there's a reason why families downsize after all the kids leave, right? Like yeah. my parents are talking about that. What is the emotional memory that what is how does that get altered i'm very fascinated with that mm -hmm. about displacement how we carry our home with us what home mm -hmm. means mm -hmm. and yeah how like it's really interesting to do this in a time of isolation yeah and all we are is at home mm -hmm. and how many of us i'm sure are taking our homes for granted you know we have to be mindful we leave a footprint wherever yes. we have landed. You know, how has our energy displaced or made an impression on yeah. on that piece of land? Yeah. So that's why I like Anatevka because, mm -hmm. you know, as much as their lives are shifting, so is the land. It's shifting as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that is why I chose Anatevka. I think it's a beautiful Great song. I think it's a beautiful goodbye song. Yeah, it's a salute to, to, to the place. It is it is yeah. a send-off of send-offs. It's about leaving your memory there. It's yeah. leaving a piece of your soul. Yeah. Soil. Mm -hmm. So exactly. I think, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's big. Like, it's big. It's an excavating song. I love it. It's a good goodbye. It is. It is. And my third choice, <laughs> on the polar opposite end of songs, it's Miracle of Miracles, Mottle's Song. Of all God's miracles, large and small, the most miraculous one of all is the one I thought could never be. God has given you to me. Talk about a Oh, I know. Autumn's giving me the look. I know it's on your other list, Autumn. I know. My other I list. Know. I know. My list. I know, but I love it. I love it. And this was a late addition to the show. I think this was one of the last songs that was added because originally Model was supposed to sing a version of Perchick's song, which was Now I Have Everything. And the and on the flight over, either to Washington or Detroit, the actor playing Model, Austin Pendleton, was sitting with Robbins and he said, I think Model should have a different song. Model is a much more spiritual character. He and he should have a song that reflects that. And Robbins agreed, and so they wrote this beautiful, soaring ballad where you get to see Model coming into himself. Basically, he's had that moment with Tevya, and it's that reaction moment of, "Holy crap! I just got the thing I wanted more than anything in the world. I got, and it's oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's very sweet." I, it's the sweetest honey. It, yeah, that's why I don't like it. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, it, no, it's it one of those few beautiful it, moments of the world. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just too cynical to like it. But I don't know. I just think it's a little too obvious. 
obvious is okay because like model is a model isn't an intellectual he's a tailor so he's relating to the world he knows and he and he's a character who goes to sabbath and reads he's well read he's well read so he knows his literature and he's relating how he and he's finding how he relates to all these heroes he's read about whether it's david and goliath or whoever it's this beautiful moment of him realizing that he is just like his characters that he's grown up with that he has caught that he's been able to accomplish his dream he slew goliath who won and he won the day yeah it's beautiful, it's beautiful. and the orchestration itself mirrors the song perfectly it is beautiful. soaring it's a beautiful song. soaring soaring melody it is a it's a beautiful song i just i don't know i don't know it feels yeah i don't know I just feel it's a bit general. Like, I don't feel like it allows for any specificity of thought mm. in terms of model. Like, yeah, you'd have to work on it with the actor. You'd have to make sure it isn't just yeah. a karaoke song. You'd have to really work with them and go, it's find the thought. Yeah, yeah. I find it perky. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a perky musical. So that's why, I, like, there's no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I'm not sold on that song. <laughs> I like it. I think it's yeah. beautiful, mm-hmm. but I'm not sold on it as a dramatic vehicle. Yeah, I hear you. That's all. All right, Autumn. We're now into our top three songs we either skip or would remove entirely. And the miracle what, miracles. <laughs> yours is that's yours. My first one though is Tevia's Dream. What is this about your daughter marrying my husband? Yes, her husband. Would you do this to your friend and neighbor from a Sarah? From a Sarah. Have you no consideration for a woman's feelings? Woman's feelings. Handing over my belongings to a total stranger. Total stranger. How can you allow it? How? How can you let your daughter take my place, live in my house, carry my keys, and wear my clothes? Girls, how? How can you allow your daughter to take her place? Because this, because you talk about over the top and like out of place, this song just goes. Like, obviously, it's spinning with Tevya telling this over the top lie to convince Golda, but it's one thing to have like the grandmother cycle come and say, Mary model, but then you got to add in Fruma Sarah on top of that. And it's like just one thing after the Because she's other. not then stopped her grandmother cycle. He's like, oh. What am I gonna do now? Oh, I better bring him from a Sarah. He gets carried away in it. I know. I... He goes over the top, what? and I'm like, wrap it up. Let's go. We've got sunrise sunset happening here. This is a long show. I know, I know, and I get that. I just think it's the one part where you can, where he uses his tradition mm-hmm. to his great advantage. Yes, because he knows Golda will go with the song. Oh, yeah. And I think it's, this is the comedy that work, for me works in this show. He's conning her and he knows. He is. And he, what is great is it's, it also highlights their relationship <laughs> and how well he knows her. Yes. And what she's going to fall for. Good point. That's a good point. And I love it. I love I love the epicness of it, the ridiculousness of it. So many times it's like people on shoulders and yes, it's very uh, over the top. Hilarious. It's, yeah. it's funny. It's yeah. yeah. 
And then, oh, we've got all these people coming back from the grave. And yes, uh, awesome. I get it. Get your point. But I just go, I skip that song every time it gets to that. Like, yeah. you have Miracle, Miracles. And it's like, oh, yeah, now we got Tevye's dream. Sometimes it wasn't, sometimes it'll be like, nope, sunrise, sunset, let's go. <laughs> uh, between us, we would just skip to sunrise, sunset. Amazing. Apparently. 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 I love it. I yeah. don't really have a next one. I, I have two. I can, it's your favorite musical and you have two more. What's going on? I can be objective. I can be objective with it. It's a fantastic show. So none of these are like truly awful songs. No. But like now I have everything. Something that I would die for. Someone that I can live for too. Yes, and now I have everything. Not only everything. I have a little bit more. Which was cut from the film, which is Perchick's song that he sings to Huddle, similar to what Mottle does with Seitel. Yeah. So it's again, it's those bookendy things that they're doing. But as Jewison said, he goes, Perchik is a character who doesn't sing. He's not a singing character. He's a student revolutionary character who's a very grounded like, like character. He's not this guy who sings. Like, yes, he dances, but that's for plot's sake, where he's proving a point. He's not dancing for dancing's sake. And the memory oh, would Evia be the guy that got a kind of guy that like bursts into song? Yeah, he would be because because he's this lofty guy who talks to god all the time he is a very theatrical person and he overreacts a lot which is really funny the song just doesn't fit and it works just as well in the movie without it where you take the song out and they still get together yeah and it, i get that because they have the whole great scene of them talking about him trying to propose to her and he doesn't know how to do it because right. he's trying to not be political and she's well he is being political and she's trying to make him not be political like yeah. the whole idea of and affection <laughs> Yes, that's important too. And affection. Yeah. Right? It's that whole yeah. it's that whole back and forth they have. And that's what that song is about. And I, I get what you mean. I, yeah. I totally get what you mean. And yeah, you're right. I don't yeah. think he'd be that type of guy to just go, hey. Now I have everything. I have everything. Yeah. It's like you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit obvious. Again, like Miracle of Miracles, mm -hmm. obvious. I mean, if I was being a really cutthroat director, you could cut both the boyfriend songs and be okay. People would be irate. If oh, absolutely. I cut if you cut Miracle of Miracles. Miracles. Yeah, people would be okay if you cut Now I Have Everything. But you cut Miracle of Miracles. Oh boy, Autumn, you got some explaining to do. My last choice, though, is The Rumor. Remember Perchick, yes. who started all the trouble? So. Well, I've been told by someone who should know. What? That gold has been arrested, oh. and Huddle's gone to Kiev. Oh. Muttel studies dancing, oh. Tevye's acting strange. Oh. Sprinza has the measles, oh. Bjelka has the mumps. Oh. And that's what comes from men and women dancing. <gasps> Which takes place middle of act two, and it's designed to give, it was designed to give B. Arthur a song in the show. And it was, it's Not also meant to, film. no, well, they cut it from the film. So basically you have the plot exposition of, you have to figure out a way to tell the audience that Kirchick's been arrested and sent to Siberia. Yes. In the movie, it works really well where the letter comes, Gold, or uh, Yentes got it from the post office and read it, gives it to Seidel, who then gives it to okay. Huddle and the family. And then you slash cut to them at the train station. 
which works just as well. But I mean, you don't need the extraneous plot. No, it's just like like it's just extra, extra, extra. Yeah, it's it's not necessary. I mean, I do like their replacement song they came up with in the 2004 revival, where it was a song called Topsy Turvy. Everything is changing. No, yes, men and women dancing, right, right. Children making matches. I don't stand a chance. Either I should kill myself or learn to dance. Where it's Yenta and the other women of the village lamenting the changing world of, of these young people. Where they're going, all these people are following Saito and Mahalo's example and getting married without a matchmaker there. And we're seeing you don't, need where, you don't need it, but if you really want a song there that reflects the community's point of view of the changing world that that works better than the rumor because the rumor just shows broken telephone and the ridiculousness yeah. of the village. I, I don't think you need anything. I think it is implied. I think it is obvious that the reason why Seidel and Hoddle and Hava have issues is because they're going against tradition. <laughs> tradition. So we don't. I don't need Yenta to sing me a song about how things are going in her world. I don't need it. At that point in the show, it's not necessary. Get to Anna Tevka. No. Get to Far Break From the Home down. I Love. Yeah. Back to all the other songs. That yeah. Get to the meat. Yeah. Get to the meat of the matter. The Cut meat the of the matter is that family. Yeah. That's it. It's the family. Yeah. Period. Exactly. Exactly. In the community, in a sense, because yes. the community is important to the family. Yes. And then exactly. you have the external forces, which, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's not necessary. It should focus on the family. Yeah, refine, refining cut. So, yeah, that's the other one that would go, in yeah. my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. So now we get to the point of should this be revived? Does it still have a place today? Autumn, what say you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. It is beyond relevant. Yes. We are still, like, not you and I, but the world is still, you know, displacing people. Yes. I, Even right now with Russia and Ukraine. Huh. Like, that's still happening on their borders. And you have, like... Anti-Semitism. Yeah. Look still at, happening. Mm-hmm. Like, like, in early 2020 of this year, in Northeast Delhi... There were Hindu nationalists who did pogroms and mob attacks against Muslims and vandalized Muslim properties. That just happened only a few months ago. Like, it's still very relevant in the world. We still do that to people. Like, it's... Yeah, uh, and there's really not one party that is innocent. No, we all do it to each other. We, I mean, we all go for the eye for an eye thing. And Tevye very smartly talks about how if we all, which is interesting, where when because it relates to that final moment of the show where all the villagers say, "Well, we're going to fight the edict," and then Tevye goes, "What good would that do? Now we're all going to be blind and toothless." But yeah, that's what we do. So yeah, and, yeah, and uh, it's always what interesting. What are our that- choices? What are our choices? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, I think that great conversation can be had about through this musical as a vehicle about empathy. Yeah, and how how we can start using it as a model for our behavior. Like we have to have conversations. People need to see, they need to open their minds. Mm -hmm. We need to be curious about Mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. We need to stop labeling otherness. Yeah. We need to stop dictating how other people should be in the world. Yep. 
like, and that's hard. I get it. I know that's hard, but that's why musicals like this are so important. Yes. Because they, they make us, hopefully. Yeah. They make us think. They make us think and look at what we take for granted and how we present in the world and our exactly. bodies. And so, yeah, I think it's 1,000 and million percent mm-hmm. it should be done over. Yeah. It should be shown in schools. People should talk about it. It should be launching point into conversations about mm-hmm. the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Then you bring in something like Jojo Rabbit and show it to kids. Yes. Kids should be watching that because yeah. it shows how that one personal exchange mm-hmm. can change that nationalistic blindness and be curious about other people and mm-hmm. ask questions. I think we'll be much better off as people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that this musical is a really great, it's a musical, so it's accessible, yeah. which is it why is. it's great. It's a good conversation point. It's a starting mm-hmm. point, And then you start bringing in heavier, even heavier stuff. I also want to say we should revive it just so I can play Tevya. So yeah, that was, needs to be done. I also think it would be a good laser wolf. Well, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. He's not as fun though as Tevya. That'd be something you play after you play Tevya. I don't have a role in this. You can direct a production. Yeah, with a lot of consulting from yeah. some Jewish friends. I'm yes. Yeah, I would. I would like to. I would like to do it. But Hard I house, hire us. I'm also very. I am mindful. I am yeah. mindful that you that, have to be. You have to be. Yeah, and I think you know, it's good to be mindful. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm always aware of appropriating, and we never really talk about appropriating in that way that's a whole episode onto its own yeah going forward we're gonna have a lot of great stuff for you in season two we have some guests lined up to come be a third party on some episodes so stay tuned for that brody weld our wonderful theme music composer is still composing and writing wonderful new hip-hop tracks under his name father flow please go check him out on spotify and all other platforms he is out there working hard creating some wonderful material about fatherhood it's fantastic. You can find all you can find all our social media platforms on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Before the Downbeat. Please follow and interact with us. We do clues, we do fun facts, we do over the quarantine, we'd be doing live commentary stream, which is lots of fun. So yeah, just come on in and join us. We are yeah. more than you, you can come join our circle. We are our very welcoming circle to come. We, our circle is open. Yes. All the times. Exactly. exactly. All the times. We love exactly. Oh, you If you can't tell, both Mac and I love a good conversation. So we do. We, do. we would love to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Like, and yeah. Yeah. And also on our pages, we have our pinned link for our survey for season one. So we'll keep, we'll announce the winner of our survey contest in episode three. So you have, so have a little bit more time to get your comments in. So please. Go on over there. It takes five minutes maximum just to go through and answer some questions just so we can continue to improve our our podcast. And the big thing we can announce now is our podcast has a Patreon. Patreon. That's right. You can now help us keep the lights on here at Before the Downbeat. We have a whole bunch of cool things for you. So we are everything you can do $3 or less a monthly. And for that, we'll give you our ever-loving gratitude. 
and a big thank you. Ever level. Yeah. Then we the next step up would be our stage crew level, which is five dollars a month. And that is where you receive our episode schedule at the beginning of the month. And you'll be able to get a shout out in the final episode of each season. So at the end of episode 14 each season, you'll be able to get a end of the season shout out. Thank you. So that's coming. Then there is the assistant stage manager level, which is $10 and up. And with that level, you get our episode schedule at the beginning of the month. You'll get a shout out at the final episode of each month. So a total of seven shout outs a season. And you'll get to do, join in on our live monthly movie musical commentary. Yeah, exactly. And then the next level up is our stage manager level. And that is where it is $15 a month. And for that, you get to receive our episode schedule each month. You'll get a shout out at the end of each episode. So, four, so 14 shout outs in total. For the season, you'll also get to cast a vote on which movie musical we will cover that month. So you kind of get to tell us what we're going to watch. And then you'll also be able to listen to our two other special Patreon conversations, which is our top 10 list every month and our theater news review episode where we'll look at what's going on in the world of theater. and We'll give a bit of a shakedown rundown of what we think. We've seen any shows that month, what's going on. It'll be fun. Then our next highest tier is the director, which is $20 a month. And that is where you get to get everything from above. So you get to get the monthly schedule. You get a shout out in every episode. You get to cast a vote for our movie musical commentary. You also will be one of the two people chosen who can select what movie musicals that we're going to be voting on, as well as our topic for our top 10 list. So you can choose things from what are our autumnized top 10 favorite musicals, who are our top 10 Broadway divas, who are... Oh, yeah, right. Or like, there's that topic. You could do like top 10 I want songs, top 10 villain songs. Top 10 theatrical experiences. Yep. Anything like that. So you get to choose those. Top 10 musicals. Because mm. we like those too. We do. We do. So yeah, you can choose a topic for us for that. And then the last level is our conductor level, which is $25 a month. And that is where we will send you our entire schedule for the season. And you can choose three episodes where you can send in a two minute a personal review of the musical Love as that. well as you'll be able to be, be chosen to be one of the people need to choose our top 10 topic or our musical option for movie musical commentary you also get to listen to all those episodes as well as a shout out at the end of each episode as well so as people start signing up for that we will be sure to start shouting you out and um, stay tuned for a possible producer level that's true, where you can join us for an episode. Yes. That's right. Yes, right. Well, 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 that, that'll, be coming, okay. that'll be coming in season three or four. We'll create that tier for you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lots of fun there. Other than that, Autumn, where can they find you personally on the grounds and the wow. social? All the places. You can find me at Autumn DM Smith mm -hmm. on the Instagram and Autumn Smith on Facebook. Love it. Also, you can check out my company, which is Littlewood Smith, Perfect. Instagram, Facebook, and I have a website, littlewoodsmith.com. Perfect. And you can find me on all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Just look for the profile picture with the ginger guy. Promotions for a company I started working with a whole bunch of my friends called Cup of Hemlock, which features a whole bunch of us Yorkies all getting together to create pieces where we explore morality in, in theater. You take pieces and, and dive deep. 
So fun times there. So yeah, keep an eye out this fall coming to Toronto. We have some great, wonderful works written by Ryan Brockovich. And who knows, maybe I'll be performing in some of them too. You never know. I may be coming out from my actor retirement to take the stage again. You never know. Mackenzie Horner, sign me up. I want a front row seat. Done. Done, done, done. Other than that, everybody, we thank you so much for joining us again for season two. We look forward to our season ahead. We've got lots of great stuff planned for you. And until next time, thanks so much. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. On the Tevka, on the Tevka, do-do-do, do-do-do, on the Tevka.